six. We are speaking today with Dr. Mohammed Al-Haji, Director of the Behavioral Insights and Nudge Unit at the Ministry of Health, Saudi Arabia. Dr. Mohammed, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, Mohammed, I'm I'm really fascinated by what you do. But before we get there, I wanted I want to give a shout out to Bill Connor. Uh, Bill Connors with Oratorial Media. He's someone we've known a long time. He's a good friend. He's someone who's very familiar with Saudi Arabia. And um, he called me, and I, I shared this with you, Mohammed. I call it the Costco conversation because I was in the middle of Costco, and he gave me a ring, and he said, "I love your new podcast. Let's talk." Because he was he's, he had been working with the Ministry of Media in this skilled speakers program, mm-hmm. and he said, "I'm I'm meeting the most fascinating young Saudis, and I know." Richard, that you're going to want to do this. So, uh, so you, Mohammed, uh, went through the skilled speaker program, right? Correct. Correct. Yes. Um, so I'd like to touch on that. And then, of course, when he said, "All right, these, you know, you you need to you need to get connect with Mohammed," and I saw what you're doing with the nudge unit, but we're not going to jump in there. I just thought it was brilliant that it was named the nudge unit. <laughs> yes, um, indeed. I want to. We were just talking beforehand, and you're you're in you're in Riyadh. Correct. You're, it's it's during Ramadan, so it's eleven fifteen at night. There. Thank you very much for for you were going to be up. <laughs> Thank you very much for staying yeah. up and, and looking so yeah, good to, yeah, to meet with us. But you were talking about the Eid break, traveling back home to the mom to see your family, and uh, you had said in that conversation, you said part of the reason you know you want to see them as frequently as possible is because you spent fifteen years in the states studying. Correct. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate this uh, platform. So uh, I was back in 2005. Um, I was uh, among the lucky ones who graduated from high school when uh, King Abdullah, uh, uh, who back then wanted to reestablish the relationship between the U.S. and the kingdom in light of uh, the tragic events in 2001. So uh, as part of the initiatives to empower Saudis to broaden their perspectives and and just really uh, uh, generate uh, the next generation who could lift this country up to the sky. Uh, so uh, the scholarship program was announced right bef- right like a month before I graduated from high school. Wow. And, 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 uh, and me being from uh, Al-Ahsa, it's called Al-Ahsa in East Coast. It's, it's, a rural, it's a rural town. I'm in a, a very small rural like village. We call it a village. It was really uh, like almost unbelievable for me to leave this town, which I spent my whole time in. Um, I hadn't traveled abroad before that much. So uh, I, I spoke zero English. Uh, I came from public school, so no privilege whatsoever. Uh, so it was all sort of uh, the, all these factors that you would think would prevent someone who is 17 and a half to go uh, live in Indiana. Um, so uh, it was outrageous uh, even to think about it. So uh, thankfully my dad was supported. Uh, I seized the opportunity. Uh, thanks to the Ministry of, of Higher Education, but back then things were very smooth. I left Saudi Arabia in, in pursuit of my education, and a little I know uh, that I would be there uh, from 2005 all the way to 2020. Uh, and 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 uh, unfortunately, I said goodbye to the states 
in a in a, a really interesting flight uh, in light of COVID. So uh, it wasn't such a pleasant goodbye, but um, I still uh, have all these feelings to the States and all these lessons that I learned through my bachelor's, my master's, my PhD. Uh, I worked there between my degrees. Um, so it was such a such an enriching experience. Uh, during my bachelor, Mohammed, um, where, can, can, yes. can I jump in here for a minute? And I saw I do apologize. Yes, intrude. yes, yes, yes. But this, I don't, I, most Americans don't understand how uh, expansive and extraordinary this scholarship program has yeah. been. And in 2005, right at the beginning, I, I recall it came out of uh, King Abdullah had gone to meet with uh, President Bush in, on his mm. place in Waco, Texas. Mm. And he came out of that, I believe, announcing this scholarship. And, and you know, there wasn't a really a full awareness of what it was going to be. But what it became was up mm. to 90 plus thousand Saudi mm. students at this most with often with dependents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the actual population would go more. And. And that was, I just really want to emphasize, that was one of the extraordinary aspects of it is that this young kid from Alasa that was going to public schools, had never been there, it was open to all who oh, yeah. were qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and I don't, I, I, you know, the Saudi Aramco experience in terms of U.S. Saudi was seminal. It was, you know, it was something that bound the country together. This, uh, this uh, scholarship program has also bound the countries together in many ways because of students like you who went off at 17 and spent 15 years. But anyway, I just wanted to interject there because we are such big fans of that scholarship program. Oh, absolutely. Um, Really, as as you mentioned that um, this scholarship program, I think is is one of the largest youth development programs around around the world uh, throughout history, really. And in, 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 I mean, as far as quantity and equality, because think about it, um, a kid coming from a rural town got the opportunity to study in, in Harvard, Princeton, uh, Colorado State University, all these schools. It was equal opportunities for all. And this empowerment generated uh, uh, income and social class for for many many families who would never make it without this program. And I, if if I recall correctly, if if my assessment is correct, this is the first program that was a social mobility driver for all classes across the board, across the regions, across uh, religious sectors. So uh, this is really like whatever you say is not is not enough to applaud this program and of course the creator of it and the visionary King Abdullah and then King Salman and now the crown oppress in, in uh, progressing and keeping this program alive with even better refinement uh, with the lessons learned through the years. So it's even uh, better and better now. Uh, agreed. Uh, just an extraordinary program. So I interrupted you. So you're, you're 17 and a half and you, you say goodbye to mom and dad and they're going, what is, we're going to miss you son terribly. Yeah, and you land in in at Colorado State University studying biomedical sciences. Uh, so take it take it from there. How 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 why that? Yeah. Where, why there? Yeah, it was it was it was insane. I I wish it was it was Colorado. It was even in like it's even remote than Colorado. It was Indiana. It was Valparaiso, Indiana, oh, like right, in the middle right. of nowhere, for real. Like it, it was even like more dead than my village in Saudi. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> like for 
And like you have these kids who who had seen the U.S. just through Hollywood and movies, and he was thinking skyrockets and New York style U.S. Mm-hmm. And then you all of a sudden you're in Dalbarizo, Indiana, like with dead silence and like people go to sleep 6 p.m. It was it was such a shock, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That's the real America, yeah. So uh, back then, um, uh, like. I, I I studied for for a couple months in in Indiana, and then I had a friend who went to Colorado State University. And during first the first year, since we spoke zero English, we had to go through an English uh, preparatory program. So I transferred to Fort Collins, Colorado, and that was one of the best decisions I made. Such a beautiful town. I don't know if you've been there, uh, but Colorado as a whole is such a beautiful state. So um, since I was uh, an overachiever in high school and I, I had a good GPA and automatically that makes you a medical student. So, so, so out of ignorance and uh, not knowing the higher education system in the US with zero, almost zero uh, cumulative experience because the, the program had just started two months ago. So nobody really like had a clue how this worked. So I went there thinking I would study, uh, I, went, I, I wanted to go to medical school. But when I arrived to the States, uh, little did I know that there is no such a thing as medical school for uh, fresh graduates from high school. You guys have a different system in, in doing uh, bachelors in kind of life sciences, and then you compete like crazy to get into medical school. So uh, I got trapped into medical sciences, like biomedical sciences, which is like really broad, like it's cool, but you don't like, you don't master nothing. I mean, (laughs) because you study, like you study physiology, endocrinology, anatomy, and all these just, you know, cross the board life science. But when you graduate, you think like, what did I learn? Like, and then, yeah, yeah, it's, it's very broad. And then going to med school was, really and is still an impossible mission for international students it's it's hard enough for uh, in-state students and it's harder for out-of-state students and it's even almost impossible for international students uh, because of all the tests and the competition and and uh, all this stuff so uh, I finished that um, and then I, I, I was like okay now I studied a human as tissues and cells and hormones but I'm more intrigued into the human as a social being, uh, the human as 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 the minds at the mind and the soul of the human, not these tissues and the cells. And, and so that's when I made my uh, kind of uh, I pivoted into public health because public health studies health from a social perspective as opposed to a, a medical perspective. So uh, I I opened the map. Of, of, of the United States thinking, okay, where am I going next uh, for my master's degree? And uh, speaking of how great the scholarship program was back then, when you graduate and finish a degree, uh, as soon as you get a, an admission from a, the higher uh, degree, you get you extend your scholarship. It was, it was such a seamless process. You just get an, a, another admission and you continue your education. This how generous it was, and it still is with, with some refinements. So uh, I opened the map, and I, I thought uh, Florida was a nice change from Colorado. Uh, and uh, I went to Tampa for my MPH at the University of South Florida. And I stop here for, for you guys if you have any questions. Well, 
I, we, we, we have friends over the Saudi Arabian cultural mission and they're, they're, they're not far from where Lucian and I are based around DC. And, uh, and I think it's interesting because you're right, you know, early on in terms of administrating this, everyone was sort of on a very steep learning curve and how to manage things. Mm. And of course, when you have a huge population of citizens in the country, you have all sorts of non-education issues, mm. you know, all the way from just, you know, getting, getting visas and, and, you know, and, and all the logistics of, of managing and helping and assisting. So it, it is, it is fascinating that you were, you were right out of the gate, one of the early, early ones, but so, but your reasoning from going to, 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 from Colorado, Fort Collins to Tampa is wonderful, but, I don't understand. How'd you end up in Philadelphia now? <laughs> you want to yeah, you go yeah. get your doctor. <laughs> yes. So uh, Philly is is uh, is an interesting choice, and I, I'm really glad that I made that choice. So again, speaking of how great this program is, it, is, it supports your dependents as well. So my wife at the time had finished uh, her uh, art therapy bachelor degree in. Uh, uh, Tampa University. So mm -hmm. we wanted a city uh, that has universities with PhD in behavioral sciences for me to complete my education and also has a master's degree in art therapy for my wife. Interesting. Uh, because why not? We both have sure. the opportunity. So let's, let's advance our education. And given how niche our majors are, um, we ended up with very, very few options that could accommodate both of our degrees. And uh, Philly was one of them. Uh, she went to Drexel University, uh, the first uh, and oldest art therapy program in the world. And I, uh, I went to Temple University because they do have a great uh, social and behavioral sciences program for PhDs. And it seems so you, you earned your doctor of philosophy and social and behavioral sciences in, 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 at, at Temple. And you spent a lot of time there. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems like that's where a lot of your, uh, it, just in, you know, in, in reading your, your background and, and growth and what you're doing now, it seemed like a lot of that came together in Temple, mm -hmm. you know, sort Absolutely. of, you were teaching, you were, you were researching. Um, but before I get there, art therapy, that's fascinating. Is your wife able to practice that in her skills? What's her? In yeah. Yeah, at the moment, she is actually uh, seeing clients right now. Um, uh, there is some regulatory uh, difficulties in kind of uh, accrediting this field in Saudi because there's so few of them. I think there's like seven of them in Saudi. So they don't have a, a, an accreditation, uh, an evaluation of process as a health practitioner. And she, so she is working through that. Um, but uh, such an interesting field. Um, you never know that... Um, uh, mental health care uh, could take uh, different forms. And now there's dance therapy, there's art therapy, there's play therapy, and these are the alternative ways right. of, of dealing with mental counseling now. And so the whole, it's, yeah. Yeah, the whole field of mental health in Saudi Arabia is emerging because it's really been sort of a taboo subject. It's not something, you know, it's, it's a process that every country goes through, and we, you know, mm. it's still been a taboo, but I know in Saudi, in, there's been a great effort to destigmatize it. Right. I mean, given how collective our, our, our community is and uh, the whole society really is really collective and uh, the stigma that is attached to mental illnesses kind of uh, uh, make you lose face and make you lose reputation just by nature of being diagnosed with one of these disorders. 
So people keep uh, kind of uh, brushing it under the carpet. Uh, so you, you are absolutely right. But there is now with, uh, with the revolution and the societal changes that we're going right now, mental health got a nice attention in, in destigmatizing the whole thing and making uh, services available to all. And of course, the technology has helped with, with uh, platforms and online therapies. So it's, it's really good. So I want to return to your, you know, your interest in the human as a social being and, 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 and how this developed while at Temple, because the next step is yeah. going to be, it sounds like it's going to be a, a, a sort of out of left field. But first, let's talk about your time at, at, in Philadelphia. Because a lot of what you were doing, you were supporting the development and implementation of federal and private grants mm -hmm. on health decision making mm -hmm. and health communication, uh, mm -hmm. which is, seems to be very consistent with what you're doing now. Right, right. So uh, I, I always say one of the best decisions in my life was to get my PhD um, because I do believe that the real like in, in PhD, you really dig deep in the philosophy of the science as the degree uh, hinted at, at the name. Okay. So uh, the PhD experience, and I was super lucky to be at Temple with my advisor, a shout out to Dr. Sarah Bass. Uh, she was the greatest mentor I've ever, uh, I would ever ask for really. She was enabling, she was busy, she was productive. Uh, she kept us busy as, uh, as researchers, which uh, what a, a PhD should be. Right. Um, so uh, sh we worked in a lab in a decision making and health communication lab, where basically uh, we're designing messages and designing uh, decision processing tools to help uh, patients navigate the healthcare system to navigate treatment options. For example, breast cancer patients, how do they navigate the options for treatment? It's, it's, it's not just uh, uh, making services available, but also how to sell these options to people and make them really pick the one is right for them. So shared decision making was a, a big topic that we tackled through grants uh, from uh, uh, from uh, NIH, uh, for example. So uh, through this experience, I matured as a researcher in a heavy way. I mean, I graduated, I finished my PhD with, uh, I think with like 10 publications between wow. first, third and second authors, which is, yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. It's really amazing. And I'm not talking about just like nominal superficial work or just putting my name in it. No, really like real contribution, real work into the research, into the grants. So it was, it was such an enriching experience in, in my life that set me up, as you said, as, as the researcher I am right now, as, as a leader in this field, thank God for, for this opportunity. So, uh, it really uh, uh, made me fly in the in the science. Well, all right. So here we are, 2015. Mm -hmm. No, 20. Yeah, 2020. Mm -hmm. 2020. It's time to go home. Yeah. So extraordinary 15 years. I mean, in that period, did you, did you get married during that period? Yeah. Yeah. So so it was really cool because. I experienced the states in different phases in my life. Like I went when I was 17 and a half, like just 
a single person who's who was had who had no idea what was coming to him in life and so i was really i immersed my life uh, myself in the college life meaning i was involved in different associations and clubs uh, uh the student assembly the student government so being i think being single back then uh, gave me the time and the cognitive resources to 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 be busy in these activities. So I had my share in that aspect. And then uh, right before I finished my uh, college degree at Colorado State University, um, that's when I decided I wanted to get married and I wanted uh, my partner in life to, to be with me in the States and live the same experience so we could really be harmonious together in, in, in life. So uh, that's when I got married and then uh, she went to school uh, thanks to the scholarship program. And then we just kept pushing and pushing and, and we got our higher uh, degrees like this. That's beautiful. So, awesome. so this is, so here you are coming back to, to, to Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Very proud your parents. You've got doctor of philosophy from uh, Temple and social and behavior sciences. You've really worked hard at this field and you come home and you start the Saudi genome. <laughs> Just complete. Isn't that a complete departure? Yes. So Saudi Genome actually started in 2015, even before right. my before even, you left. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was I was working remotely with my partner um, because uh, me being interested in health as as medicine and as public health, uh, I was really keen to kind of solve some of the health issues in my in my community. And me coming from Al Ahsa in East Coast Saudi Arabia, it's one of the hot spots for hereditary diseases mm -hmm. and genetic diseases due to uh, uh, intra-family marriages. So you have a higher chance of acquiring or getting a genetic disease in, in my hometown as opposed to other towns in Saudi Arabia. So uh, me personally is affected in my family, in my extended family with, with genetic disorders, all sort of genetic disorders. Um, so I partnered up with, with my relative, who was also a friend of mine, and we started this genome project to help uh, uh, reduce genetic diseases in our smaller circle because we were just a smaller team. Right. And uh, we were doing that by offering genetic tests uh, so that uh, couples or even before getting engaged or anything, they could screen for genetic defects. And uh, based on this powerful information, they could make an informed decision whether they could proceed with marriage or not. So all you need to know, Interesting. genetically speaking, uh, spe specifically if we're talking about what's called recessive uh, genetic disorders, which require a defective gene from two parties to make a sick or a child with the illness. Right. So all you need is is the genetic defect, whether is it present in both parties or just one. If it's one, then it's good. You're you're good. Uh, you're not gonna have uh, kids with with diseases. But the problem is if both parties have the genetic uh, disorder or the genetic defective gene. So uh, the the solution is really straightforward. You screen both parties. And you find there, uh, thanks to technology, you could find the defective genes in both parties, and then you could provide the reports to the prospective couples, and they they could make their decisions whether they could uh, uh, continue in their engagement and marriage or not. So this is this is our core business, and it's, it's a social entrepreneurship uh, project, meaning it is a profits for a profits uh, business, 
but it's also to make a social impact. How is it doing? Uh, it's really good. It's still surviving. Still good. Uh, we, we're expanding. Uh, we're offering uh, different tests now. Uh, we took it into even a more radical approach, meaning we wanted to screen families just like the uh, Jewish community in New York in the 80s right. with the Tysac disease. Uh, what they did is they, they screened uh, kids in middle school. So mm. every kid uh, knows what's, what genetic defects they have even before they start dating. Um, so we wanted to replicate this experience uh, and it's, it's one of the success stories in public health. It's such a great story. They eradicated the Tysac disease in their community, the Ashkenaz community in New York, and it's been replicated in Jewish communities all around the world. So we said, oh, we could do that too. So now our goal is to screen big families who tend to uh, have intra-family marriages due mm -hmm. to tribal reasons and whatnot. Um, so that's our uh, approach now. It's very like early on preventive screening, even before kids starting high school, so they could know who to pick as their partners. And given the uh, how marriage tradition works in Saudi, it's usually your mother and, and your family who, right. who kind of nominates uh, <laughs> your fiancés for you. Now, if you provide them this information, they could eliminate uh, the options based on the the genetic match up, let's say this is this is high level matchmaking right here. Yes, yeah, very high <laughs> level. Yes, and it's yes. a one it's a wonderful um, sort of uh, combination of traditional and modern, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely. You're absolutely right. Yes. Um, and I, it's, I guess there's some been recent uh, breakthroughs and not even further breakthroughs in, in gene sequencing and. And so you've taken it, it was initially in Al-Assa, and, and you're, have you taken it to other areas in Saudi? Is it? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we serve uh, all, all regions and cities and towns uh, because wow. we, we kind of uh, simplify We simplify the process by having collection points wherever you are in Saudi. So we, uh, we, had, we have a deal with one of the logistic companies who could pick your blood sample, the small blood sample that all we need to do the DNA sequencing where, where whether you're in the south or in the north and then this delivery company or logistic company pick up this blood sample and you're good so all you have to do is hit us up in whatsapp and in in, 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 a, in a phone call and you let us what city you're from and then we would uh direct you to the nearest collection point yeah wonderful fascinating yeah. so saudi genome it's, it's such a such a simple and agile process yeah um which it leads us to, and this is, and we'll, we, we, we full circle sort of, um, but as, as director of behavioral insights and nudge unit, which again, I just love the name because it's just so honest. Yeah. yeah we're nudging. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I with the ministry bluffing. of health. Yep. And it's beautiful because it's not, it's not, we're not demanding. We're not pushing. We're like suggesting, right. you know, moving you along and uh, ministry of health, Saudi Arabia, you started there full time last uh, in 2020. Uh, developing and implementing strategic plans to realize the unit's vision of improving society's well-being through behavioral insights. No, so the so health issues obviously in any country, but it, I think Saudi Arabia it seems like it's going through a particular evolution, not only associated with uh, with Vision 2030 and quality of life uh, goals, um, you know, in terms of being accessed, but so much is in terms of how uh, health information is distributed and, mm -hmm. and phrased 
because you have to pay attention to these things. Um, and so in order for things to be effective, if you want to, you know, create change and you, you have certain ways you want people to behave, you have to pay attention to your vocabulary and your messaging. Absolutely. This is where you are. This is the space you occupy, occupy right now, correct? Correct, yes. So uh, traditionally speaking, um, uh, policymakers all around the world, um, they usually resort to classical economics and thinking that if you tell people the information, they would follow suit rationally. Um, and like tell them get the vaccine, they'll get the vaccine. So that's that's oh, I know. so that's that's is that case study number one, United States, the vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. How all, all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah. So we, we know that from like a large body of research from starting the 80s with uh, Daniel Kahneman and Traversky, uh, that classical uh, uh, economics is uh, put to, to the grave because it's just absolutely not applicable to how humans think and behave. And that's when behavioral economics kind of emerged. Um, and it just got bigger and bigger and gained more uh, authority and, and uh, 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 trust. So that's when uh, the UK, actually the UK in 2010, uh, under uh, the parliament with, with David Cameron, they started the first uh, behavioral insight unit at the governmental level at the mm. prime minister level, so that they could refine their policies and programs taking into consideration the irrationality for human beings and the end users. Because if you design for robots, good luck. I mean, like you're not designing yeah. for any effective outcomes. You're really just wasting your money. So you really need to take into consideration the real day-to-day uh, -day, uh, human being, not really the, this rational being that doesn't even exist. So that's in 2010 really kind of pushed behavioral science into the policy uh, lab or the policy making. And then uh, Barack Obama kind of uh, followed suit when he recruited Cass Sennestein, the Nobel Prize winner, uh, to lead the behavioral insights in the White House as well, for the same reason, to refine policies for regular citizens. Right. Um, so that's the emergence of behavioral science into governance. Uh, in 2018, the Minister of, of, uh, of Health, uh, His Excellency Dr. Tawfiq Rabia, innovative he is, uh, he thought the uh, behavioral science is, is, holds a great potential in regulating and providing health services. So he started this small unit under his office and uh, a year later, uh, it was established by a consultancy firm because there was no, uh, there's no like really like little sad, like few Saudis who could, who have the degrees and the expertise well, to run it. Because you hadn't come back from Temple, that's why. I, I, exactly. So uh, <laughs> right when I came back in the summer of 2020, um, uh, I was lucky I was contacted by Ministry of Health to lead this newly established unit. And that's what I do now. I, I uh, guide kind of, I guide the different programs in the Ministry of Health and give them the behavioral aspect and the behavioral elements of the services and the programs offered uh, because it consumes a lot of budget and money. And the Ministry of Health is one of the uh, biggest uh, uh, organizations in the, in the kingdom in mm -hmm. expenditure. So it's really such a waste to 
waste like, to spend all this money without taking into consideration human behaviors who or which are really uh, kind of determine whether the end user use your programs or not. So here I come to advise and consult and look at things from a behavioral lens. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the, the Nobel Prize, and I'm, I'm a layman, I don't know, but it seems over the last two decades, the, the majority of Nobel Prize winners in the field of economics have been behavior economics. I mean, I think it initially started with the, the stock market mm-hmm, and, you mm-hmm. know, why people behave so irrationally with the stock mm-hmm. market. And Absolutely. then I guess it, it continues the same into, in, with mental health. So, so <clears throat> this was the, you know, the COVID pandemic began that March 2020 um, and you went full time November. What what are the issues um, that, you know, that you're dealing with mm-hmm. yeah, since you since you came on as as director of the nudge mm-hmm. unit? So uh, coming in, in the apex of, of COVID in, in uh, November 2020, uh, the pandemic was, of course, the, the issue to, to tackle. So I uh, I kind of advise the leadership to uh, different aspects of kind of precautionary uh, regulations to be placed in Saudi. So if you remember back in 2020, we didn't have vaccine. We didn't have any medicine for COVID. All you had is behavioral treatments, meaning wearing masks, social distancing, and uh, kind of uh, using alcohol rubs. So it's all behavioral uh, measures. Right. And uh, it, was, it was such a such a nice coincidence for me, at least in my work, to come at that time, because really the whole world was depending in behavioral scientists, at, of course, pharmaceutical companies were, was working in right. parallel, but at, as a quick response, it was a behavioral response. So I kept briefing the leadership about what we know from behavioral science that could really encourage such preventive measures where, meaning wearing masks and 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 uh, all these all these things that we know, and then later when the vaccine was available, it was available, it was accessible, but was it acceptable? So this is the third element that was challenging for most governments around the world, uh, specifically given how uh, skepticism and uh, conspiracy theories was was really spreading around the globe. It was really interesting and very challenging to uh, kind of sell the vaccine to people. And here comes the messaging and the framing and how you do things and how you present the vaccine uh, became really important. So our work uh, was around this area. So I was working with the deputy of awareness and marketing within MOH in uh, kind of refining their messages to, to uh, make the vaccine more acceptable because it was available. No, mm-hmm. no, no question about availability or accessibility. It was an acceptance or not. So uh, that's where we worked on uh, loss of virgin, uh, on, on ego, on uh, social norms to really uh, uh, frame our marketing of the vaccine to the public. And in one of our studies, we, we did a random a randomized control trial, which is the best evidence in science, we randomized six groups, uh, making about like 7,000 participants. Hmm. Um, we tried different 
framings in, in, in different people to find which message really strikes the chord and which message exactly kind of gives us the highest return of investment as far as the vaccine. And we were able to define uh, the two or three messages that really uh, made us made, made a, a difference in how people uh, see the vaccine and then actually take it. What were they? So, yeah, so uh, the first one was the, the, the social norm and the frame was um, you are among the, the minority left uh, who did not take the vaccine. Most of your families and friends did. Mm-hmm. Um, so we can, that, this is called injective social norm. We kind of inject the social norm in the text. Um, so that gave us about a, a 20% increase in, in vaccine uptake. And then um, the ego, uh, the ego framing was also interesting. The ego framing was like, uh, it goes like this. Uh, Saudi Arabia is on top, uh, uh, or Saudi Arabia is the first in its response to COVID around the world. Please help us keep this national pride in 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 top. Don't so let, we kind of yeah. Don't, don't let, let down, us don't let us lose. Yeah. Don't don't let, don't let down don't, the side. Yeah. 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 It's 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 on your responsibility and it's in your shoulder to keep Saudi Arabia in on top of its response around the world. And given how. Uh, this new era now really uh, unifies Saudi Arabia around the national pride. Uh, we kind of we saw an opportunity to to hit this chord, and it really is uh, a national cause. So mm-hmm. this this message also led to I think an eighteen percent increase in in vaccine uptake. So this is kind of thing that we did in regard to COVID, but we of course we did other things in regard to other health services and programs. Well, one of your jobs as, you know, in terms of understanding behavioral insights and actually influencing opinion is understanding the population. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. let me ask you, and this is kind of a big, it's a thought question, because Saudi Arabia, you know, indisputably was one of the top five uh, nations in terms of dealing with COVID. And they, and they did Mm -hmm. it a number of ways. We've talked about that a lot on the show. Um, uh, you know, they follow the science. They they had the money to to make things mm-hmm. available and accessible. Uh, they had and 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 the community is is geared a certain way. The community is very umma oriented. It thinks about the community. It thinks less about itself and more about the community. That's maybe right. a broad generalization, but I mean, you know, it's a stumbling point for us in the U.S. Mm-hmm. I mean, w- w- just just quickly, where do you think we went? And you know, where do you think we stumbled? Yeah, uh, I think the the problem with the U.S. was uh, uh, the uh, politicization. Politicization. How did they say it? It's a big one. Yeah, the little uh, politicization. Politicization of of the pandemic was a political matter. Uh, I was I I witnessed this myself because I was there in the beginning of the pandemic. Right. You could you could easily predict uh, one's party. political party based on their mask whether they wear a mask or not it's true uh, you, you had a, you had a really good shot at predicting whether this this person is republican or democrat based right. on their behavior so it was it was really the politics of it that went wrong uh, and of course uh, it was just a toxic political environment through which the cdc had to navigate and nih had to navigate their guidelines and recommendations so there was a huge gap between uh, uh, in the alley, as they say, and it just 
when when you lose leadership, you lose public trust, and when you when you lose public trust, uh, you lose their engagement with you and in, in following recommendations and guidelines. And I think that's that's what happened in the states. So you're taking. <clears throat> You're taking this expertise you have and applying to it. It's fascinating what you did with the Seattle Saudi Genome and addressing an issue in terms of, of, of marriages among close, closer relatives. And now we're talking about dealing with the pandemic. There are other big health, health issues in Saudi Arabia. And how do you rate them? For example, <clears throat> high blood pressure, obesity, right. Um, right. any number. Well, I won't say any number of things. Diabetes is a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um is there a big, is there a moonshot for the Ministry of Health or are you looking at a bunch of different issues? So we work in alliance and in alignment with the strategic priorities of MOH. MOH has a strategy and has priorities. Uh, so we work in alignment with that. And speaking of diabetes, for example, um, I think we're going to start a new project and in, in kind of increasing the adherence of diabetic patients to show up for their appointments, which is a behavioral issue. Um, Again, when we talk about MOH, it's mostly uh, a behavioral issue because you have freely accessible service. So the logical thing to do is to utilize the service if we're talking about uh, the classical economics, but now we're talking about rationality. So how to encourage or nudge people to utilize the services as far as blood pressure, obesity, uh, diabetes. So our method or kind of way of working in in behavioral science is that we take these big issues. This is the like the mantra for us. You take big issues and you break them down into specific behaviors. So you do what's called a behavioral map in which you clearly identifies the barriers and facilitators for the end user to do X, Y, and Z that you're, you're, you, you, that you want to, uh, you want people to do. So for example, if, if we think about uh, diabetes, for example, um, you break it down and you see there is a high no-show rates for uh, regular visits. So mm-hmm. how do you increase adherence to uh, health appointments, for example. And this is now, when we break it down to this level, we're, we're talking behavioral science. However, if you're talking about infrastructure, uh, the availability of devices, the available, availability of appointments, this is not a behavioral science issue. Right. So, so my, my unit is really uh, has a niche uh, and a very specific role in a breaking down big health issues into behavioral elements and a try to pick one of these elements, the most impactful elements, and try to address that. But you do, and that's fascinating, and that makes perfect sense. You do sort of have to understand your tools. And I say that because you, you said right at the beginning, one of the terrific advantages, if you're a Saudi citizen, you have free health care. Mm-hmm. So starting with that, you know, that barrier is, is not there. And that's why you were talking about the psychological. Why aren't people showing up for their appointments mm-hmm. when, it's, you know, when mm-hmm. it's covered? The other thing is communication. Do you use, and uh, which Saudi Arabia has shown remarkable you know, skill like Absher and Tamakalna, these apps mm-hmm. that can be used to, can they be used to, to, to uh, change and promote certain sorts of behaviors? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't long ago when, uh, uh, when, uh, what is it, what is it called? Um, there was a decree from, I, I think a real decree 
uh, about organ transplantation after death. So uh, the, uh, just like the rest of the world, there is the shortage of organs and there is just too many people waiting in line to get uh, transplantation. Right. So uh, this, this new uh, kind of royal decree uh, encouraged to, uh, organ, uh, organ transplantation. So this service, to sign up for this service, was added to the Tawakkalna app, right. which is a universal app every, everyone in Saudi who is 18 and above has to have right now. So we wanted to utilize this platform to nudge people to sign up to be an organ donor, uh, a, disease, a deceased organ donor. Um, it's a complex decision to make. It's, right. it's, it's very different than when you're living, because when you're living, uh, like, you know, there's no other uh, kind of uh, complexity in the decision making. But when you're deceased, like it's your family's decision. It's not it's not your right. decision. Right. Uh, you have you have these sacred beliefs that your body does not belong to you. It belongs to God. So it's not your job to to make a decision about your body. So, so we wanted to utilize this platform. So we, uh, we had an agreement with, with uh, the, uh, the administrator of Tawakkalna app to redesign the UX experience and, and, and the messaging and the wording and the process to facilitate and nudge people to sign up as an organ donor. Right. So this speaks to 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 your uh, comments about using the platforms. It's been such a great enabler uh, because much of uh, many many of the services actually could be utilized uh, through the apps. Uh, so UX or or user experience is such a big component in it. So that's when like you you get behavioral science to kind of uh, optimize the whole interface to get you the desired outcome. Well, you know, that's not a that's not a medical thing, but that whole behavioral transformation of, of using these apps and, and your phone and smartphone and using e-government services, which are now widespread and seem to be pretty successful. Um, you know, that's a, a huge behavioral shift that's happened in Saudi Arabia in the last three years, two years. Totally. There's yeah. a transformation revolution. Extraordinary. There's so there's so many other places to go, I guess, um, if. If I could ask you, what, what do you miss about living in the U.S.? Because um, you were here for 15 years. Now you're back home. What do you miss most? Um, the trees. The trees. Uh, yes, the, <laughs> the, 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 the public parks. Um, I used to just uh, stroll around like it's, it's next door to me. It's always next door because there's ubiquity of it. Um, so I, I really miss that. I mean... Uh, we got lucky with the oil here as far as geography, but not really with, with the weather and, and the sand and the whole thing. Well, yeah. but, but I think now uh, to, to uh, kind of improve this, I don't know if you guys heard about the green Riyadh. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You heard about this guys. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah so, so yeah. No, give yourself another 15 years and hopefully there'll be 10 billion trees. And 10 billion. And, trees, uh, yes. I think yes. It is. Yeah. 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 And, and <laughs> You, you already start seeing some of these, if you see some Google images, you see the transformation already is happening. So really, really stoked and, and inter- like really excited to, to live in a greener uh, Riyadh. And I think this is happening around the corner, hopefully. Yeah, fascinating. This the transformation is ongoing. Uh, Mohammed, uh, what, a, what a, thank you so much. I appreciate this. Just yeah, a terrific, you. thank you for sharing your journey from the 17 year and a half year old kid, you know, going yeah. off to, Saudi, to the U.S. and then and coming back. It's just been fascinating. 
yeah, yeah. I'm really thankful for the opportunity and I feel so appreciative and uh, so much gratitude to uh, to this country who provided this unbelievable opportunity. I mean, people were hating on us in the States when we were telling them that our tuition is paid and we get stipends and we get healthcare. <laughs> and like, you know, like you guys had to be like working in waitress and whatnot for like 17 hours a day or something. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we, people were jealous and really that uh, uh, we, I did not, I did not take it. And I still do not take it for granted. I really feel the gratitude and uh, just being thankful. Just, just really thank you. Yeah. Well, well, thank uh, you, Dr. Mohammed, uh, for joining yeah. us on the 966. This was a great discussion. We hope to visit you soon in yes, Saudi please. Arabia. And uh, yes. hopefully some of the tree plantings have taken place by then. We can walk around the par- <laughs> I, new parks in absolutely. Riyadh. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you, Thank Mohammed. you all. Wonderful. Thank, thank, thank you. you.